It's The Ancients on History Hit. I'm Tristan Hughes, your host, and in today's podcast, we've got a special treat for you today because a few months back, I was fortunate enough to head over to Egypt to film a series of documentaries for History Hit. And one of them was all about the greatest, or one of the greatest, definitely the biggest temple complex of the ancient world. This is the temple complex of Karnak, which boasts some 4,000, yes, you heard that right, 4,000 years of history, stretching from the Middle Kingdom, the Middle Egyptian Kingdom, to Champollion, to Jean-Francois Champollion, the deciphering of hieroglyphs. And in this special podcast episode, it's taken from our recent documentary, released on History Hit, all about Karnak, I chatted to El Tayeb Gahrieb Mahmoud, Tayeb who is the director of Karnak Temples. This man knows everything that there is to know about Karnak Temples. He knows where each hieroglyph is, what each hieroglyph means. He is a walking encyclopedia for all things Karnak. And we were lucky enough, fortunate enough, to have some of his time when we visited Karnak a few months ago. And in this podcast episode, it's a mix of me sitting down with Tyab in the great hyperstyle hall of Seti I, and also a bit of a walk around too, looking at some other features, such as the White Chapel of Senesret I. That's all to come in this very special On Location in Egypt Ancients podcast. The first time we're doing an Ancients podcast outside of the UK. It's another symbol of how we're always growing, always wanting to get bigger and better on the Ancients. But without further ado, that's enough rambling on from me. Here's Tayeb to talk all about Karnak. Tayeb, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I am so envious of your job and where you work here at Karnak because it's such an incredible site. I mean, we're talking from inside the Hyperstyle Hall, one of the most iconic monuments here. I'd like to ask you a few questions about this site, about Karnak now, if I may. I mean, first of all, Karnak in ancient Egypt, what exactly is Karnak? Karnak, it's a biggest and greatest religious temple over the world. When we talk about Karnak, we are talking about more than 247 hectares. Type, that's insane, the size. I mean, as you say, this is one of, if not the largest religious sanctuary in the world or in the ancient world? In the ancient world, exactly, in the ancient world. So, when we talk about Karnak, we are talking about more than 247 acres. Acres, right. More than... 15 temples built for many gods and goddesses and kings inside this area. For example, we have the great temple and the main temple of the god Amun-Ra, the temple of the king Ramses II, the temple of the king Ramses III, temple of the god Bitah, temple of the god Khonsu and Obed. We are talking about more than 15 temples built during different times of the Egyptian civilization as dedication for these gods and goddesses. And of all the gods and goddesses that were worshipped at Karnak, you mentioned Ammon there. Does Ammon seem to be this main deity which is worshipped at Karnak? Exactly. The main god, not just in Karnak. Actually, the, the main deity during the new kingdom 
and until the end of the Egyptian civilization was the Gad Amun Ra, which means that we are talking about more than 2,000 years. And the Gad Amun Ra, he was the main god and the main deity in the Egyptian civilization. And was Amun, was he a local god? I mean, do we think his, the cult of Amun, if we can say that, did it originate in this area of Egypt and Upper Egypt around the ancient city of Thebes? Actually, Amun, he was a local god. At the beginning, when he was in Ilmenia, in Khiminu, and this is the original city of the god Amun. But later, when he came to Luxor, step by step he became the main god. And at the beginning he was a local god, but later he became one of the first creators for the world, even for the cosmos, so that he became an international god. And Tayyip, going on from that, I mean, an international god, thousands of years of history. We can talk about various sanctuaries around, well, various temples and shrines and chapels here, exactly. which dedicated to Ammon. But it does also beg the question, do we know where it all begins, the whole sanctuary of Karnak? Do we know about the origins of this sanctuary? Yes, yes, of course, of course. Actually, we think that the starting of building in Karnak, at least starting during the time of the 12th dynasty in the Middle Kingdom. And still we have the Obin court, which belongs to that time. But this is at least, because actually we think that the building of Karnak temples started before. For many proofs, for many evidences, one of them that still we have names of the kings from the old kingdom, like the king Sinifro, the king Jidkara Isisi, all of these kings' names still exist on the list of the king Tutmodis III in the festival and the temple of Akhminu. So we think that the building of Karnak temples was initiated during the old kingdom. Of course, we didn't find until this moment a real and clear evidence. But some evidences prove that. But anyway, we are talking about more than 2,000 years. Why? Because... 2000 uh, BC. Are you talking more than 2000 BC? Exactly, exactly. Why? Because the first part of the temple, the oldest part of the temple, started during the time of the king Sinusert I, Sinusteris I, and around 1960 BC. And this is the white chubble, which we found in blocks as fell inside the third pylon, which belongs to the time of the king Amenophis III. He used these blocks and many thousands of blocks as fell inside his gate, the third pylon. And during our restoration and preservation for this part of the temple, the third gate, we found all of these blocks. And we started to reconstruct again all of them in an area we called it open air museum and still all of these chapels and shrines exist right there 
like the white chabal, the alabaster chabal, the chabal of the Queen Hatshepsut, the red chabal, many chabals. Actually, we found all of these blocks as fell inside the third pylon, and until this moment, we are trying to reconstruct all of these chabals again in the Open Air Museum. Well, you mentioned the White Chapel there, so let's go and have a look. Okay, let's go. As Ty had mentioned, the White Chapel is now situated to the side of Karnak in the Open Air Museum. Beautifully and accurately reconstructed, the building is some 4,000 years old. This is the White Chapel. The White yes. Chapel. This is the oldest part of Karnak complex. This is the most ancient part of Karnak temples, dated to the king, to the time of the king, Sinusert I. And can you see his name at all on here? Tab? Yes, this is the name of the king, Sinusert. Ah, yes, Sin yes. Usret. This is the old name, this is the hieroglyphs name of the king, Sinusert, around 1960 BC, wow. during the 12th dynasty. And actually, there is no part of the temple older than this shrine. So this shrine is basically almost 4,000 years Around old. Around 4,000 years, exactly. It's incredible. It's in the detail all over the walls of this white chapel, where you can see evidence of the close relationship pharaohs wish to stress between themselves and the god Amun. And Tayeb is taking me, first of all, to a particular depiction of Amun all to do with fertility. And this is a depiction that shows a man with a very erect penis. There's no other way to say it. And standing opposite this depiction, this version of Amun, is a depiction of the pharaoh Senesret I with his royal regalia. And so do we see depictions of Amun on the walls of this shrine? Yes, of course. We can Let's have see a look. Yes. here the depiction of the god Amun, and we can read his name. Jedmidu and Emin Kamutef. Nisut Nitiru. So Kamutef, is this a yes. particular version of Amun? Yes, exactly. Right. And his, like, in his name, like this, it was the Ithifalic Amun. Because actually we have two forms of the god Amun. The first one as the king of the sky, as the god of the sky and the sun. On the other side, we have the other name, Amun-Ra Kamutef, and in this case, he is the Ithifalic Amun, the god of the fertility and the sexual life in ancient times. So fertility, this version of Amun is all to do with fertility. Exactly. Right. And we can see the image of the god yes, Amun yes. reacting like this. And I guess, is that Senna's right there on the, on the right and that's Amun yes, on the left? Exactly. This is okay. the depiction of yes. the king, Sinusert, and his offer, a bread as offering in front of the Ithifalic god Amun-Ra or Amun-Kamut-F. And you can see the headdress that he's wearing, crowns, and with the serpent's little headdress there. Mm -hmm. Do we know what sort of crown this was? Was this the one that just represented a pharaoh? Actually, in this form, the king, Sinusert, He's wearing the white crown. The white crown. Yes, this is just the white crown, the crown of Upper Egypt. The crown of Upper Egypt. So was there a different crown if he was king of Lower Egypt? Exactly. We have the red crown and the red crown for Lower Egypt. And we can see it right here. Oh, this is the red crown. Yes, you can see how different it is. Yes. Exactly. exactly. Right. 
So Lower Egypt, that's the end closer to the Nile Delta, to yes, Memphis and that exactly, area. Exactly, exactly. Right. From Memphis to, to Alexandria, to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Oh, this okay. is which we called the Lower Egypt. Got it. Yeah. And Upper Egypt, where we are at the moment in Karnak and Thebes, ancient Thebes, this was Actually, Upper Egypt. Actually, we are in the center, in the heart of Upper Egypt. Ah. And we are in the capital of Upper Egypt at that time, Thebes, Luxor nowadays. Now, a key role of Karnak was as a home of the said festival. This was an official renewal ceremony of a pharaoh's power some three decades, 30 years into their reign. And the function of the White Chapel of Senesret I may well be aligned with this said festival. Some Egyptologists think that this shrine for the said festival. And the said festival, it was very important for the Egyptian king to renewing his life, to renewing his power. So he used to celebrate with this festival after 30 years of his reign, of his ruling for the country. And during this festival, he used to make many ceremonies, many rituals in front of the common people to prove that he can control Egypt, he can rule for another 30 years. So that sometimes he used to control a pool to show his power, to show his strength for his people. So that maybe this shrine used for this purpose, for this function, where we can see the name of the said festival. Oh over yes, down there, here. So it's down yeah, here is it? Exactly. Ah, down okay, here, yes. We can see the name of the said festival. Right. After 30 years on the throne, this important festival, the revival of your strength, exactly. of your power, and yeah. it was incredibly significant and important exactly. for the pharaohs, for their people. Yeah, that's right. So actually, Tyre, from what you were saying, so this altar here in the centre, does this not date, therefore, to the time of Senesret I? Is this later? Was there originally something else in the e centre? Exactly. This is the point. Some Egyptologists think that this part of the shrine the altar, the granite altar, added later to the time of the king Sinusar. But originally, we had a royal throne. Here, double royal throne for the two faces, the two entrances, and the king, he acting at that time himself as the king of Lower Egypt and the king of Upper Egypt during the Sid festival. Senesret's legacy at Karnak is clear, thanks to the preserved White Chapel. This often overlooked building, now to the side of the main temple complex, full to the brim with invaluable hieroglyphs and imagery, well, this White Chapel, it emphasizes the importance of Karnak and Amun for pharaohs as early as 2000 BC. But 2000 BC, well, this was only the beginning. Karnak's importance increased over the following centuries. And by the time that the Egyptian New Kingdom dawned in the mid-2nd millennium BC with the famous 18th dynasty, Karnak was well on its way to becoming the monumental complex you can still see today. 
So, Tayyip, you see all of these constructions, and by the time you get to the famous 18th dynasty, the likes of Tutankhamun and so many others, does it feel like this is a real golden age for Karnak? Yes, of course, we can say that, for sure. The golden age of Karnak temples, it was during the New Kingdom and especially the 18th dynasty. Why? Because the great builders of Karnak temples was at that time, like the Queen Hatshepsut, the King Amenophis I, the King Tutmosis III. He was one of the real builder of Karnak temples, especially the heart and the central area. And of course, the King Ramesses, the King Siti I, actually the golden age and the golden times of Karnak temples, it was during the New Kingdom and especially during the 18th dynasty. Well, you mentioned, I mean, there's so many names there we could pursue, but as we are talking from the Hyperstyle Hall, I feel we need to kick it off with Seti I. I mean, Tayyip, talk to me a bit about who Seti I was, when he was reigning, and what's his great contribution to Karnak? Actually, the king Siti I, he was one of the builders of Karnak temples and he started in a very special part of Karnak temples and this is the Hypostyle Hall because actually the Hypostyle Hall before City the First it was very simple just a corridor in the middle surrounded by columns and two walls but later during the time of the king city at the beginning of the 19th dynasty around 1290 BC he started to add more columns he removed both of the walls on each side and he started to build, add more columns and build 122 columns. So 134 therefore in, this in is total. In general. In total. Yes, ah, right. the 12 in the middle, the larger one, this belongs to the time of the king Amenophis and the, 20, the 122, this belongs to the time of the king city. And he started the work in the northern part but he died before he finished his work so that his successor and his son, the king, the great king Ramesses, he completed the work of his father and finished it in the northern part and he continued in the southern part. One of the most important parts which belongs to the time of the king city the first, it's the military scenes which we can see on the northern exterior wall of the Hypostyle Hall, where we can see the king in the battlefield when he tried to invade Palestine to save the boundaries of Egypt against some tribes who wanted to invade Egypt, so that in his first year of his reign, he started to stop all of these tribes to enter to Egypt, to make kind of hostilities against Egypt so that he led his army marched to the north and he started some battles against some tribes in Palestine called Shasso and he reached to Lebanon and he brought some wood, the cedar wood from there and he came back again so the king city he was one of the most important kings who helped and built special buildings in Karnak temples. 
So he's a pharaoh that you can see the legacy of today in Karnak. You can see his military legacy, as you mentioned, on that exterior wall, his military achievements. But also, we are sitting in the Hyperstyle Hall at one of those 122 columns. You can see his architectural achievements too. I mean, the building achievements. It's got Seti all over the place. I know it's got Ramesses, his son and successor there too, but... If you come to somewhere like Karnak, you can't help but know or hear or think of the name Seti I. Yes, of course. Seti I. He was the father of the King Ramses. And by the way, the King Ramses, he ruled for 67 years. That's insane back then. That is yes, insane. it was a long time to do something like this. But his father, Seti, he didn't rule like his son because he was so old. So he died early. I want to say, maybe if the king city, he lived more, he could do something amazing, more than the hypostyle hall or more than the military scenes which he represented on the exterior wall of the hypostyle hall. But anyway, even his time was so short, the king city, he did something amazing in Karnak like the Hypostyle Hall which they spent more than 120 years just in this part of the temple and until this moment we think that it's the most impressive part of all of Karnak complex it is incredibly impressive absolutely indeed let's go and have a walk around yeah let's go Over on the Warfare podcast by History Hit, we bring you brand new military histories from around the world. Each week, twice a week, we release new episodes with world-leading historians, expert policymakers, and the veterans who served. From the greatest tanks of the Second World War... And so what are you actually trying to get out of your tank? You're trying to get manoeuvrability and you're trying to get a really big gun. Your Tiger and your Panther are there to dominate the battlefield, primarily on the Eastern Front and in the North Africa and all that sort of stuff. But by the time they're actually coming in in decent numbers, that moment has already passed. Through to new histories that help us understand current conflicts... Any invader, any attacker, any adversary will exploit gaps within society. It was true then, it's true today. But the Finns signaled that they were united, and I think that's what the Ukrainians should signal today too. Subscribe to Warfare from History Hit wherever you get your podcasts and join us on the front lines of military history. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, host of Dan Snow's History at Podcast here. History isn't just dates and facts. It's about the incredible stories that shape our world. 
three times a week on my podcast. My expert guests and I bring you extraordinary stories of heroism, discovery, mystery, and power. Expect tales of lost tombs, daring escapes, power-hungry rulers, and those determined to bring them all down. If you're a history lover or just looking for a good tale, you want to check out Dan Snow's History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Weaving your way through the massive columns of the hyperstyled hall is quite unlike anything I've ever experienced. It's incredible, the feelings you get. You see the reliefs, the hieroglyphs, the huge cartouches visible all around you, and the size of the structure in itself, the size of the columns you're walking through, you're weaving your way through, well, they make you feel quite small indeed. But what was the function of the hyperstyled hall? What was it used for? The function to build the hypostyle hall was a kind of imitation for the myth and the legend of Horus. The legend of Horus? Exactly. Okay. When the god Osiris he died, the legal heir, mm. he was his son and his successor, the god Horus. Right. But his uncle, he refused this and he tried to kill him to take the throne of Egypt so that the mother of the god Horus, the goddess Isis, tried to hide them in the marshes of El Delta, which fell off papyrus, papyrus flowers oh, and right. trees. She tried to hide him inside and in between these trees and these papyrus flowers right. as a legal heir of the throne of Egypt. So that they did the same here in the hypostyle hall, which looks like a veritable forest in stone. Yes, because you've got these columns here at the end, you know, these closed papyrus columns. Exactly. Those gigantic open papyrus ones in the centre, that central colonnade. This is the point. That's the point. So exactly. they represent the papyri of this myth, of this legend of Horus. Exactly. The Hyperstyle Hall contains a total of 134 columns. The vast majority, 122 of them in fact, are 15 metre high closed papyrus columns so-called because the top of each column resembles a closed papyrus flower. The 12 gigantic 22-metre-high columns that form the hall's central colonnade are open papyrus. Open, as their tops resemble an open papyrus flower. Why sometimes open, sometimes closed? We think this is, it depends on the sunlight. Why? Because originally this part of the temple was roofed. Right. So that the floors on each side, it's completely under the shade. So it's not grown up easily. But in the middle, the larger columns, it comes the sun beams yes, from the, sun comes the small yes. windows up there. Ah, so those small so, slits, yes. Exactly. Okay. So it takes the sun easily so that it's grown up so easy. So that it depends on the light, it's the flower grown up or not grown up. 
This part of the temple, the hypostyle hall, it was for the most important people like the royal family, the people around the king, just to enter and to be in this part of the temple so to make kind of rituals and ceremonies. So completely unlike today where anyone can come in, you know, it's such a popular attraction as we can see right now. Of course not. Back in ancient Egypt, no one would have been allowed in, no one of the common people, as you said, it was just, it was special access. No way. But perhaps the most striking aspect of the Hyperstyle Hall's busy central colonnade is the colour that you can still see so clearly on these columns. And Taib, the colour here is absolutely incredible. You'd be forgiven for thinking it's been painted on, but no. I mean, what's the story behind this beautiful colour? No way. <laughs> All of these colours are original. Belongs original. to the time, yes, yes. In spite, the hypostyle hall was initiated, the work was initiated during the time of the king Amenophis III, just in the middle part. Yes. And we are talking around 1390 BC. But the decoration, the decoration of the hypostyle hall was begun during the time of the king city, father of the king mm. Ramses. And the king Ramses, the son of the king city and his successor, he finished the whole work and the decoration of the hypostyle hall. You can see the remaining of the colors everywhere. It's amazing to see all of these colors after 3,000 years, which we used to see it covered by dust and the smog. And now we can see it very clear after the project, which we started about eight months ago. Now on these coloured columns, you can see depictions of Ramesses II making offerings to various gods, particularly various forms of Amun. The fertility version of Amun, but also the version of Amun that becomes very prominent at the time of the 18th dynasty and from then on, where Amun becomes the god of the universe, the head god, Amun-Ra. On one column, you can see Ramesses offering milk to Amun. On another, he's offering red wine. On another, there's bread and so on. It is the Hyperstyle Hall. It's an absolutely stunning structure. But it wasn't just men who built at Karnak in ancient Egyptian times. Women also built here too. Particularly a remarkable 18th dynasty pharaoh called Hatshepsut. Now, Tayeb, keeping on the 18th dynasty, the famous 18th dynasty, I'd love to ask you a bit more about the pharaoh Hatshepsut because we seem to see her constructions, her monuments, her image all around the Karnak complex. Yes, the queen Hatshepsut. She was one of the most important queens who did amazing work in Karnak. As I told you, the golden age and the golden time for Karnak temples, it was during the 18th dynasty. So, the Queen Hatshepsut, she was a woman, but she wanted to prove that in spite she was a woman, she can do something like the men. So that she represented herself like the pharaohs, the men. She wore the headdress of the men, she wore the short skirt, she even wore the false beard, so that she represented herself just like a man, and she ruled for 22 years. 
And during this time, she did amazing job in Karnak temples. For example, we discovered in our restoration for the third gate or the third pylon, we discovered the red chapel, which belongs to the time of the Queen Hatshepsut. And it's one of the most important shrines of all of Karnak temples. It's built of quartzite stone, which they brought from El Gabal El Ahmar. And this is red colored. This is a great red colored yes, stone. Yes, exactly. So that we called it Red Chabal. And we think the Red Chabal of the Queen Hatshepsut was in the middle of Karnak temples instead of the shrine of the King Philip Aridaeus. Originally, the shrine of the Queen Hatshepsut was there at the Holy of Hollies or the sacred bark of the Karnak temples. But later, maybe the King Tutmosis and his follower, they dismantled this shrine and threw the stones away until the King Amenophis III came and he decided to reuse this block again as fell in his gate, the third gate or the third pylon in the middle of, in the center of Karnak temples. Now, there's one thing that I'd love to ask you about there, and we're going back to Ammon here, but it's a key part of the Ammon story, and that was the sacred bark, this boat. You see a depiction of it in the Chapel Rouge as well. I mean, what was the sacred bark festival? Why was it so important? Actually, the sacred bark of the god Ammon, it wasn't just for one festival. No. Actually, it was a wooden boat, a wooden boat and... It had the most sacred statue, which made of pure gold. And they hide it inside a niche or a nose in the middle of the boat. And this boat was get out from the shrine to be carried on the shoulders of the priests during many celebrations and feasts like the festival of the Obed, like uh, the festival of the beautiful valley when they used to carry this boat to go to Luxor Temple by the Nile or by the Sphinx Avenue. This is during the festival of Obed. Sometimes they cross the Nile with the boat carrying on the shoulders of the priests to go to the Valley of the Kings to visit the ancestors. It seems such an important ceremony and so connected to Karnak through its long history. And to see, therefore, visual depictions on it of somewhere like the Chapel Rouge of Hatshepsut. I mean, if we focus in on Hatshepsut and Ammon's relationship, because time and time again, you don't only just see Hatshepsut at Karnak, but you see her alongside Ammon, the sacred bark ceremony, and so many others. It's really interesting how closely connected she is to Ammon. Yes, exactly. Even some of the kings and queens in the Egyptian civilization claimed that they are the sons or the daughters of the god. One of these queens and kings, she was the queen Hatshepsut. She claimed that she was the daughter of the god Amun-Ra, so that she ruled Egypt because she wasn't just a queen, she was the daughter of the god Amun-Ra and she recorded this on a wall inside the birthday wall in Luxor Temple. We can say how the queen 
she recorded that she was the daughter of the god Ra from her mother, the goddess Ahmos. Now, one last thing on Hatshepsut before we move on. I've got to ask about the obelisks of Hatshepsut at Karnak. Because talk to me a bit about the obelisks and also the restoration work of one fallen obelisk, which you've now, it's no longer fallen. Uh-huh. Actually, the Queen Hatshepsut, as I said before, she did a great job in Karnak temples. One of the most important features for this queen, uh, the two obelisks, which she erected in the middle of Karnak temples, each one about 30 meters in height. And it made of red granite from the quarry in Aswan. How far away is Aswan? More than 500 kilometers. Really? Wow! Yes, more than 500 kilometers just south of Luxor. So that it was a long, long way to bring this kind of stuff. Especially when you know that the weight of this obelisk more than 300 tons. One single piece of red granite. I guess it's a great example of the the effort that they were willing to go to to get these monoliths up at a place like Karnak and then uh, decorate them too. Were these solar symbols? Were they associated with Amun? Can we imagine them being really beautiful to look at in ancient Egyptian times? Actually, the decoration for many gods, like the god Amun, the god Amun-Min, this is another form of the god Amun, the um, goddesses like Isis, Hathor, uh, Mut, all of these decorations, which colored, it's scattered and it's spread everywhere in Karnak temples. In spite, it defaced many of these colors, are destroyed because of the nature, because of the earthquakes, and unfortunately, because of the people who lived in the medieval times, inside Karnak temples and reused some parts of the temple so that all of this badly affect on the colors. Some parts are destroyed, some parts are covered by smog from the people who lived there and used to make the fire for cooking, for firing, so that the smog was covered completely these parts of the color. So that in spite of all of this, still you can see some perfect remains and amazing remains of the color everywhere like in the hypostyle hall like in the holy of holies in the middle of karnak temples in khonsu temple still exist some remains of the color who give us an idea how the temple was during the ancient times it is absolutely astonishing and i love the fact that at this place you know you're reconstructing some 4000 year old buildings you're cleaning away some of these columns to get the color to show how beautiful it would have looked like thousands of years ago you're re-erecting obelisks like that fallen obelisk that has just recently been erected hasn't it of Hatshepsut yes it did actually it's not a complete one because this is the southern obelisk of the queen Hatshepsut but this is the just the upper part. And this upper part was lying nearby the sacred lake for more than 100 years. And the Ministry of Tourism and Antiquities started to re-erect this part of the obelisk of the Queen Hatshepsut again just three months ago. 
we started to make restoration, preservation, and we made a new base for this part of the obelisk, and we re-erected again nearby to the Sacred Lake. It's uh, about 10 meters in length and about 80 tons, more than 80 tons, just 10 meters of the whole length of the Queen Obelisk of the Queen Hatshepsut. Well, Tayyip, I could ask questions for hours, but I'm going to wrap it up there for the moment. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Well, there you go. There was the legend that is Tayyip, the director of Karnak Temples, giving you an introduction to Karnak and why it is such an incredible place to go and visit. I loved visiting Karnak, definitely one of the greatest ancient sites that I've ever been to. So I highly recommend if anyone wants to go down the Nile in the future, or up the River Nile, so to speak, to definitely check out Karnak in Monde Luxor. You won't be disappointed. It's incredible. But that's enough from me. Last but certainly not least, if you'd be kind enough to leave us a lovely rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, we, the whole team, well, we greatly appreciate it as we continue our mission to share these awesome stories from ancient history with you. It's been an absolute pleasure, and long may the Ancients podcast continue. But that's enough from me, and I'll see you in the next episode. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Ancients. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code ANCIENTS at checkout.